I'm Kara, and welcome to the Purpose Driven Mom podcast. Here at A Purpose Driven Mom, I believe in parenting with intentionality, but remembering the grace that God gives us to make things new every single day. I know that mom life can be hard and stressful, and it sometimes feels out of control, but here at A Purpose Driven Mom, the goal is to help you create systems and routines to just feel less overwhelmed, more in control of your time, your parenting, your life, and have more joy in your home. Mom life is hard enough. Don't do it alone. Welcome to The Purpose Driven Mom Show. I'm super excited to share this conversation that I had this week with Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color. So I have been following her page for a while now, and I have her Real Easy Weekdays plan. I've been putting all of these tips that she gives for my picky eaters, and it has been super helpful. We got to sit and have a conversation about how you can create healthy meal routines for your family, what to do when you do have picky eaters, or how you can have conversations with stakeholders when they're not on board with healthy eating. This conversation will give so much um, life and permission, I think, to the mom out there who is just not sure what to do when it comes to their kids' eating habits. Before we dive in, I wanna just give you a little bit of background so you know who Jennifer is. She is an MSPH RDN and a registered dietitian, a wife and a mom of two. She's the founder of Kids Eat in Color, which is a movement that helps hundreds of thousands of moms and dads feel better about mealtime and get their kids eating more foods. If you're struggling with a picky eater or just mealtime in general, Jennifer's also given us a free picky eater guide to help kids try new foods. I'm going to link it over at the show notes, which will be at a purposedrivermom.com slash podcast 38. You can get that absolutely free. I have it. It's wonderful. And it's a great stepping stone into changing the mealtime habits in your home. I hope that you get a ton of encouragement today with this episode. And if you try anything that you hear us talking about or any of the tips in the episode, make sure you tag us both. I'm at a purpose driven mom on Instagram and she's at kids eat in color. Now let's dive right into the conversation I had with Jennifer from kids eat in color. Welcome to episode 38 of the purpose driven mom show. Today we're going to have a conversation with Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color. I know that a lot of you probably know who she is. I've seen you guys in my community tagging her and sharing her stuff into our group. So it's gonna be really fun to get to just pick her brain and ask some questions. So Jennifer, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Kara. I know that a lot of my community knows who you are, but for those who don't, could you just tell us about you and who you are as a person and your family? Yeah, so my name is Jennifer. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I have two very exciting boys. Um, I'm married and have a wonderful engineer husband, and um, and I help hundreds of thousands of moms and dads using Kids Eat in Color, primarily on Instagram, but also Facebook, Pinterest, you know, all those fun places. And yeah, I'm... I consider myself to be one of the greatest cheerleaders of moms everywhere, feeding kids every day, yeah, six times a day. All the, they have to eat all the time, don't they? All the time. <laughs> I think that's the biggest struggle when it comes to food is like, oh, now we have to do it again. Like, Can we just do this? <laughs> yes. Every day I feel that. Um, how did you get into studying nutrition and becoming a dietitian? So I studied cultural anthropology in college, which means I, I was studying people and cultures and how they understand the world. And right after school, I, I took a job at a food bank coordinating their youth nutrition programs. And um, I just began to see working with low-income, at-risk youth sites, working with little kids and older kids, trying to get them food for their programs. I just began to see what an incredible role that food and nutrition plays 
in children's ability to learn and grow and thrive. And it was actually my husband who was like, you should really go back and get a master's degree. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And he's like, no, really, you really should. And, and that started me on the path of going back to school to do my nutrition prerequisites. And then I eventually be, got a master's degree in public health and then became a registered dietitian after that. I love how supportive he was. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's, he's, I would be nothing without him, honestly. He is really the best cheerleader and support that I've had ever. It's I mean, fun. maybe, maybe my mom is like, <laughs> you know, like your mom and your dad, but then like for sure, <laughs> I would be nothing without Paul. And it's fun to watch that because I see you guys sometimes on Instagram will do like the questions and everything yeah. together because I find that one of the things that often gets put on our plates as moms tends to be like the meals and everything. So it's nice to see you guys talking about it together and being like just a great example of trying to be on the same page sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Being on the same page is so, it can be hard because I mean, both of us have had two jobs for the past three years. He was doing a PhD full-time and working full-time and I was doing all my work on Instagram full-time and also working full-time. And then we're raising kids full-time, right? I mean, there's just a lot of full-time jobs that go, <laughs> that go into it. So being on the same page is so important, even if you're not 100% on the same page, trying at least, like working toward that all the time is so important. So how did you get into doing what you were doing as a nutritionist and then kind of exploding with everything that you do and give to moms on Instagram? How did that spark start for you? Yeah, so I think it really started when my own son had a problem eating. He started falling off the growth chart um, with weight gain. And I just had this moment where I was standing in the pediatrician's office and she looked at me and she said, you know, I think you should start giving your son Pediasure. And I was like, like as a dietitian, I know that Pediasure is a medical beverage and has really useful purposes and that's why we have it. Uh, but I also was like, oh my gosh, like it was a real wake up call. And I, I wasn't, as a dietitian, I wasn't sure that he actually met the criteria for using a medical beverage. And so I was like, okay, so I really had to get into feeding. What do you do when you have a kid who doesn't like to eat? Like, it turns out just because you're a dietitian doesn't mean you know what to do with your own child and how to handle that situation. So then I had to become really a drill down and become a specialist in the area of feeding kids. And then my second kid graced me with a, a picky, a picky eating scenario that I then had to learn a whole new set of tools, you know? So um, I think it was really just kind of life experience. And I was working full time at a job, wonderful job with wonderful people, but I didn't feel like I was using a lot of the skills and interests that I had. I was kind of bored. And so I thought, you know what? I've been working so hard at helping my son eat. Maybe there's another mom out there who just needs a little bit of advice from someone who's kind of done some research and stuff. Maybe I could help her out. And that's really, that's how I started Kids Eating Color. Like one January night, three years ago, maybe I can help another mom out. That's incredible. Um, it's funny because I talked to a lot of moms who want to like do something or something on Instagram or start a blog and they're like, I just don't know. And I'm like, listen, an expert's just like one step ahead. 
and then you grow, right? Like you think like, can I help that one person? And then it becomes this thing that impacts so many people who are sitting up scrolling their Instagram late at night, like, what am I making for dinner tomorrow? Right. <laughs> and and right. trying to figure it out. And one of the things I noticed that you do, because you give a lot of like great tips on like the nutrition and the food. But the one thing I really love is this mindset you teach behind food because we like villainize food in our society and it just creates this like right and wrong dichotomy with like what you should be eating. And I know for me, like I had a lot of food issues stemming from a kid. I was an overweight kid and now as an adult, I'm still trying to work through these issues. And it's really important as a mom of three now to think like, how can I set like a better example in my language and, and model it? So I was wondering if you could talk about this mindset in our culture between like foods that are right and wrong and like how that can possibly like just be a little detrimental long-term. Yeah. So we know that research shows when we tell people something is bad, a majority of people want to do that more. They, we have some part of us and maybe it stems from parents telling us our candy is bad and then us tasting it and being like, oh, but this is so good. Or maybe it appeals to like our even deeper nature of like, I don't know, we just want to do the wrong thing sometimes. But um, we think that if we just provide our children with information, this is going to help your body and this is not going to help your body very much. That somehow that's going to give them the ability to actually do what's right for their body all the time. Unfortunately, research doesn't support that at all. Like information alone is not even close to enough to help us make the decision that we want to have a healthy body. Instead, if we're like villainizing food and we're saying, well, this one is better than this one, and we're setting up this hierarchy, all of a sudden we start messing with our psychology and our kids start wanting these foods that don't have that many nutrients. They want those more. And, and it's not helped by companies who like are crafting foods that just make us want more and more. So it's, we're just like, we're in this food environment that's very challenging and our kids are, are growing up kind of out of touch with what their bodies need and want. They're out of touch with their hunger and fullness cues. They're out of touch with what a balanced diet looks like. And if we're kind of saying, hey, this is poison and this is, this is bad for you, but you can have it now, but I'm going to use it as a reward, even though it's poison, like all of a sudden, it's just a mess. It's a mess in my, our minds. It's a mess in their minds. And all of a sudden we fixate on this sort of like, quote, unhealthy food. We're fixated on it because we're like restricted one minute and then we're bombarded with it the next minute when we go to a birthday party. And, but because we were restricted, we just want to like stuff our faces and eat as much as we can. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this again because it's poison. Anyway, it's a mess. And so I feel like we so want to help our kids through this, but we don't necessarily have the tools and what comes naturally to us is not actually helping us. And I think the other thing you mentioned about like we use food as like a reward or dessert, um, you really kind of changed my mindset when I was watching a couple of posts when you talked about like you just like put it on the plate and like you make it that level playing ground with, you know, with the regular meal, I've started to do that. Um, you know, if they're asking for like a special snack or they wanted something extra, I'll like just put it on their lunch plate and they're like, Oh, well, uh, you know, this is for lunch, but they still eat the other food. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like we're going to get there. And it's hard. I think that especially I came from a home where like you ate dessert after dinner. Right. And it was a thing that you earned. And these are all of these things. So now 
Um, I try to, with my kids, like we don't always have dessert, but sometimes if there's a snack, there's a snack um, and changing that. But it can be so hard because me and my husband like just grew up in different environments. But I think it's just being aware of it as a parent, especially like now society, you, like you said, it's like everything in your face about good and bad and foods and sugar, but, but just being aware of it and helping them make the choices. The other thing that I've like taken from your account that I've really started to use is the language around like being full from this finish everything on your plate or you don't get dessert, like that type of mentality. And so I've been using kind of that same language. I think you say like parents decide when and what we eat and then you decide how much, right? Could you talk a little right. bit about that? Because that, that's been a game changer in our home yeah. battling with food. Yeah, so um, many decades ago, Ellen Satter, a very famous, at least among <laughs> registered dietitians, she was a registered dietitian, and she was the first one to really describe this relationship between kids and parents and feeding and what has the best outcomes. And as it's been researched over the years, it's just held up over and over and over again that it's really the parent's job to provide this structure for feeding children, deciding what is served, when it's served, and where it's served. And it's the children's job to decide whether to eat and how much to eat. So this idea that from the very beginning of like baby's first bite, where we're trying to get them to open their mouth with the airplane game, you know, and you shove the spoon in their mouth, and then they're like, ah, you know, that from that moment where the parent is like forcing the kid to then the three more bites, and then you can have dessert, to then finish your plate or whatever it is, we have a common history of kind of forcing kids to eat. The thing that we know now is kids really can decide when they're full and when they're hungry. Not all kids come by that information easily though. And that's why it's also important that we provide a structure of like, here are the times that you're eating, here's where you're eating, so that kids can actually get in tune because some kids don't really know when they're hungry. Like I have a kid who would like just never eat very much. I have relatives who like, I don't know what they ever have eaten. I'm not sure unless their mom had sat them down at the table with some balanced options and said, now is the time to eat without distractions. And then they can say, oh, I guess I'm hungry, right? make those connections. The same goes for when kids are full. Some kids, you know, if it's a highly distracting environment, they're just going to keep eating because they can't tune in. So parents providing that structure of here's a balanced meal, here is a quiet environment, and here is the time to eat. Then they can get in touch with, oh, I'm actually done eating. And then the parents are hands off. Like, okay, you said you're done eating. I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to not comment. I think the not commenting is the hardest, um, especially we're in, we have some picky eaters over here. Um, but I, I do like, you know, like blame myself a little bit for that because I know that I've given into the shorter cook or like not given the up. So we're growing our palates right now. Um, and I think that it's hard for me to be like, I noticed you ate all of that, but you didn't touch any of that. And I want to like right. say something. Um, yeah. but I'm trying to get them to listen. And even my daughter, I think she had like ice cream or like a, some treat was in the house the other day and she stopped and she's like, my belly's full. And I, was like, I stopped. I was like, what? Oh, okay. Yes. Good. And I was like, Oh, really on that, like great listening to your, to your belly saying that it's full, you know, like trying to encourage like, great, that's a good feeling. Let's, right. let's work on that because it's a muscle that we have to grow, especially yeah. like you said, like distracting environments. And then if we've always told our kids and my kids are still like little I have a two a four and a 13 year old so like for my younger ones like if we've always grown up with like you have to eat this to do this it's this 
this kind of transition into that. Um, now, I was thinking about that transition into mom feeling like the short order cook, right? Making one thing for us and then one thing for them. That's the one thing I loved about like in your really easy weekdays that you have like, what does mom and like, what are the parents eating? Because right. that, that can be really helpful. But say you're, there's a mom then she's like, listen, I'm making meals for this kid and meals for us. And I, I just, I'm over it. And I know that I want to like start to incorporate the healthier things. Mm -hmm. What are some suggestions that you have um, to kind of help get like the family on board with transitioning over from mom making everything from for everyone into like, this is what we eat for dinner? Yeah. So I think first of all, moms, you are totally worth making just one meal. <laughs> We do not need to be making multiple meals. Our time is worth more than that. Our emotional energy is worth more than that. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and say, you know what? It's my win to put food on the table. And that's the end of my job. Like, it's my job. It's not my job to get my kid to eat. It's not. And of course, that can be challenging if you have a kid who is a picky eater and needs support learning to eat and that sort of thing. And that's fine. But ultimately it's, it's each person's job to feed themselves and to swallow that food. We can't uh, helpfully make a child swallow food. So as long as we come to this with the right mindset of my job is done and I got my points when I put the food on the table then we're good, but we can also be, have some common sense about it. Each person also deserves to have something they can eat at that table. So if you have a really extremely picky eater in the house, like a child who only eats five foods, it's not fair to that child to serve a meal that doesn't include one of those five foods because they can only eat five foods right now. And at the same time, to serve them their own special meal of just those five foods does them a disservice because they're never gonna to learn to eat anything else if those are the only five foods that are ever presented to them. So what I recommend is a meal with approximately three to four components. Uh, and if you have a lot of picky eaters and you have a complex situation, you may have to make like a bigger meal, but whatever those four components are, three, four, maybe five if you have a more complex situation, um, whatever those components are, you wanna make sure that at least every person at the table has one food that they're very comfortable with. And you're providing a, a decent meal and you're, you're providing um, structure and then your job is over. And you know that picky eater has a food that they can eat. And if they decide at this meal that they're not gonna eat it, then really that's on them. It's not on you because you, as we all know, I mean, especially with toddlers, uh, three days in a row they ate avocado like it was their favorite food and then they're like, ugh, that's disgusting. I'm just gonna smear it all over my face. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Really what we're supposed to do with that is ignore it and say, okay, you can eat it the next snack. That's fine. That's really helpful um, because I know that getting to start things like um, in my home have been like stressful because I was thinking like, my kid is one of those, like only five foods. So I've been trying to just make sure there's at least one of those five foods on there. And we've been slowly trying to integrate some of the recipes that you share and um, very slowly, like, all right, here's one little muffin. Like, I know that we're going to get there. Um, and even I made one that I was like, I know they're going to love this. And they were like, nope, I don't want this. And I said to my husband, I was like, at this point, like we've done them this disservice. Like their palates are very, are trained to maybe not want like a natural sugar or something like that. Like 
from a blueberry. That's what it was. The blueberries were in them. I mean, maybe tomorrow they'll like blueberries, right? But today, blueberries weren't a thing. But I said, I'm like, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep doing the different exposures. And I think that's where we've hit with veggies. You share a lot about that, about how to like have these like first, second exposure and get kids into veggies. And I'm wondering if you could encourage some moms out there, because I think you just gave moms like a lot of permission to like breathe just now when you were like, you don't have to make everything. Uh, And we know we want our kids to eat more like vegetables and fruits. How could we get started with that? Right. So I I always like to remind everybody that if you never want your kid to eat a fruit, never serve one. Because if they never see one, they're never going to eat one for sure. Because there's always like, well, they're not going to eat it, so why should I serve it? But they're never going to learn how to eat it if you never serve it. So we need to learn how to serve very small portions so we're not wasting food, but also continuous portions. So my my child, uh, who is more selective, he um, he went about a year and a half before he actually swallowed a piece of avocado, um, which I thought was pretty remarkable since that was like well over a hundred exposures, right? And there's this narrative out there and there's some quote research that says, oh, 21 exposures, your kid is gonna eat it. I don't really know, I don't know where that comes from because in my experience, it takes a lot more for a lot of kids to actually accept a food. So I have one kid who like fits right in with that, you know, three exposures and he's good. He'll try it on the first one. Um, my other one is like, I would like to see this for a year and a half before I actually decide to swallow it. And there were a few times that he had put it in his mouth and spit it out, but you know, no thank you. And then next thing you know, he's swallowing it, eating it, loves it, asks for it, right? So that same child went three and a half years before he ate a tomato and liked it. And it's not like we didn't serve tomatoes several times a week for three and a half years. So I think it's really important to think it's a long game. Some people need more exposures in order to be able to accept a new food and swallow it with acceptance. And other people need very few exposures. But if you're dealing with picky eater, chances are you're going to need a lot more. And it's okay to think, hey, this is a long game. I'm going to serve all the foods that I want to eat, that my partner wants to eat, that the rest of my family wants to eat. And we're going to slowly integrate this picky eater into that. That's super encouraging. Because I know that there have been times where I was like, I guess I'm giving up on asparagus. (laughs) You know, I just like, I I felt like so defeated because I didn't know where to go. So that's actually really encouraging to know. Um, Just keep going. Yeah, just keep going. I mean, if you like asparagus and it's available to you, enjoy it. The more you enjoy it in front of your kids, the more they're like, hmm, maybe I should try it again. I mean, my husband does the same thing. He is madly in love with mushrooms. And I struggle with mushrooms. Uh, But every time he eats them, I'm kind of like, maybe I'm missing something here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, I try mushrooms. I try them in front of my kids because I want to model that behavior. They know that they're not really my thing, but they see me trying them and they see me including them in the menu, even though they're not my favorite. And that's a good, and one of my kids loves mushrooms so much. And the other one is more like me. So, um, you know, it's, it's just important to keep, to keep serving the widest variety that is available to us. I like the idea of modeling. I'm thinking my husband doesn't like, 
he calls them squishy vegetables, like yeah. zucchini or eggplant. He just, he does not like them. So um, I eat them. I'll eat them a ton, but it's important, I think, for them to see us both. And then having the conversation, you know, like, I don't really love this one, but I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. And really, you know, setting the tone of like, you know, I'm learning to like this. We don't have to model some, I mean, if we want our kids to have the mindset that they're going to learn to like things, then we should really use that language if that's our goal. Um, so if I don't like mushrooms, I could say I don't like mushrooms, or I could say I'm learning to like mushrooms. I'm just going to look at it today, which is fine. I don't have to have it on my plate if it's going to gross me out. I mean, why torture myself? Or maybe I can have it on my plate. I can touch it. I can play with it. I could show my kids how to do that. I could show my kids how to politely refuse because they're going to go out into the real world and be served things that seem like really terrifying, disgusting, or revolting to them. How are they going to handle that? Especially if they're selective eaters, because that can be like a, almost a traumatic experience. But if they have the tools, like at our, our table, we'll often play this game. Um, what do you do if, and we just talk about various scenarios. So, you know, one of the questions I brought up was like, what do you do if somebody serves you something that looks really disgusting? What do you do with that? And, and uh, one of the kids was like, we practicing. You, you could just say, no, thank you. You don't have to have any, you don't, or you could just have it on your plate and not eat it. Or you can't, if it's in your mouth, you can politely spit it into a napkin. So like going through those scenarios, like what do you do if you put something in your mouth and it tastes like you're going to die? Like, what do you do? My daughter was doing that the other day. She was like, this is disgusting. Like something I made was disgusting. And I was like, well, you know, it's, you shouldn't really say that. And we we're trying to think of other things to say. And I think, I think at dinner time, I asked my two-year-old, um, if he doesn't want something, it's thrown. Um, and I, I write right. that down as a question, like if you had any, uh, personally for me, I'm like, I'm on the struggle bus with food getting thrown in my house. Any recommendations for that? Because, you know, you want everyone to like sit at dinner, but I know for a lot of moms, like dinner is not fun, right? There is right. not a lot of joy. It's stressful. Kids are throwing things, especially like if you've got a bunch of littles, they're trying to get out of their seat. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations for just like in general making dinner time or any meal time just like more joyful and more peaceful? Yeah. So at... First, I mean, usually the biggest win comes from the phrase, you don't have to eat it. So when they say it's disgusting, first you can say, let's say no thank you instead of it's disgusting. We also say don't yuck on somebody else's yum. Um, they like that. Uh, so you can, you can give them something else to say. And then um, just remind them that you don't have to eat it. That, a lot of battles stop when you say you don't have to eat it. And then from that point on, um, if they're throwing food now as the mom of two children who are obsessed with throwing one who threw food I mean we took everything away we like did everything by the book and he just had to grow out of it um, and we had to you know like stop giving him stuff to throw and, and things but a lot of times it's because they're bored or they're scared of the food so if they're scared of the food don't put it on their tray or give them a place to put it, like you can give them a little cup. Like if you don't want something, put it here. And the other thing is, as soon as they say, I'm done, immediately take them out of the high chair and let them down. So I 
Um, and this all depends on how good your child is, not good, but like how capable your child is at sitting. I have two very high energy children. So their capability of sitting is less for any activity, right? So um, I recommend starting with one to two minutes per year of age and working up from there to find your child's uh, attention span at a meal. And then once you find that, you can use a timer and then they have to sit for the timer. So maybe your child is like mine, very high energy, extremely high energy. Uh, so we worked up to 12 to 15 minutes and that's what we used for about five years. And he could sit for that long at a meal and then sometimes he would sit a little longer, but usually he'd get down. But that was his like max. And we use a sand timer for kids at over three and we use a sound timer for kids before that just so that they know when they're allowed to get up. That made me think about if kids say they're not hungry. I saw, I think it was on your Instagram, you had actually answered this question about like, if they say they're not hungry, do they just wait for the next meal? Or like, what do you do? This guilt of like sending them to bed without supper. Um, you know, what are some recommendations if the kid's like, nah, I don't want to eat at this meal. Like, I'm just not Yeah, so, it. I mean, obviously throughout the day, it's, um, here's the thing, if they don't want to eat, they don't have to eat. <laughs> but also, it's not part of the real world in any way, shape, or form that you can eat whenever you want. I mean, you know, except when you're a baby, like a little baby, right? Like food is just not available all the time. And it shouldn't be. That's like not how our bodies work well. I, it's not how our teeth work well. The more often we eat, the harder it is on their teeth and the more likely the kids are, get to, are likely to get cavities. So eating all the time is not a good practice, except maybe in a very few scenarios that I can't think of, right? There's always an exception, and that's why I always say there's there's always an exception. Chances are your situation is not the exception <laughs> uh, in this case. It is very, very rare that we want a kid eating all the time. We do wanna have regularly planned meals and snacks. For toddlers, that's about every two to three hours and uh, could be up to four hours, depending on the size of the child, how long they can sit at a meal and things like that. And um, we want them to get in touch with their hunger and fullness cues. We want to give them that power that they can say no, and we will honor it. And we will also honor our commitment to provide structure for them, which they need to be healthy and happy. So that means if they choose no, that's fine, but then they're gonna have to wait two hours to the next snack. Waiting two hours for a meal is not at all going to be detrimental to their health. Now, the big question comes in for dinner, like what if my child decides not to eat dinner at all? So I usually ask, did you provide a safe food at that meal? If so, it is very rare that kids actually eat no dinner at all, as long as they have one food that they're comfortable with. Although dinner is usually the meal that toddlers eat the least of because they're tired. Eating takes a lot of energy and they are tired and really they just need to go to bed. Um, so, and you know, if you're kind of implementing a structure when you haven't had any and you have a strong will or a spirited child, chances are they're actually gonna do a lot of testing. Like, well, if I don't eat dinner, can I get them to then make me my own dinner afterwards? And then you kind of run into a problem. Then you run into a training where for a couple nights, they test you and you're like, no, we're just going to go to bed. And then 
you know, you make sure and have a really big breakfast first thing in the morning for them and all that. And usually they figure out really quick. But remember, this is never a punishment. It's never us trying to get kids to do something. It's us establishing a healthy, loving, nurturing structure for them. I think people get a little concerned. They're like, oh, you're punishing them with sending them the, to bed with like not that much food in their stomach because they didn't eat. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is providing that loving, nurturing structure so that they know when food is coming and they know when it is not coming and they can choose whether to eat and how much. You said something that triggered uh, a thought in me about like the power struggle. Cause if I'm real, like I want you to eat dinner because I put dinner on the table. Right. And by the end of the day, like we're, we're burned as mom. Like we remember yeah. ourselves, right? Like we're done. And I think sometimes it's like, for me, like an ego thing, like check yourself, Kara. Like, why are you really getting upset right now? Is it because you made something you wanted them to try it and they didn't? Is because like, you want to be like, you're not telling me what to do is, you know, the child often tells me what to do. And I think that if we can like be real about that, we can start to change like the language and the way the, the structure and the routine, because I'm big on that. I'm big on like the structure and routine, but like teaching them their own cues um, is important. But I think it's like, we sometimes have to check ourselves because I think a lot of it's so much of it is ego. And I think what's challenging too is we think of maybe criticism we might hear from other stakeholders thinking like in-laws and stuff who are like, well, you wouldn't have left my table if you didn't eat all your food or, you know, they come over and just or say, well, I'm thinking in particular of a situation I know of where cupcakes get brought over a lot. And yeah. then um, <laughs> in-law might say something like, well, you have to eat all of your lunch and then you yeah. can have this cupcake. How can we start to empower ourselves as moms when maybe there are some people in the picture who don't agree with those types of parenting decisions? Right. So this can be really, really tricky, especially because I don't, I am always careful providing quote advice because I don't know your situation. Are you reliant on that in-law for childcare? Are you in a situation where if you stand up to that in-law, they are going to be abusive in some way? Are you going to, or are they really kind of open to ideas, but they just don't know things have changed? So I, I always recommend first kind of taking a step back and saying, how important is this? to me, because there's gonna be some times where you're like, they bring over cupcakes once a week, they give the kid the cupcake, it's fine. Like, and maybe grandma requires five bites of food for a cupcake. That wouldn't be my choice. And if I can, I would like to go to grandma on the side and say, hey, you know, I've been following this nutritionist on Instagram and we're trying to work through some picky eating things and she has recommended that we don't do this and we're giving it a shot. So if you could support us, that would be great. You know, it's something where you just kind of like blame somebody else. You're trying this thing and you're going to do it for X number of days. Can they support you? Often that is enough where you're not you're not blaming them in any way. You're not accusing them of anything. You're really kind of inviting them to support you. I know it means so much to little Joey if you, uh, you know, uh, supported him in this, like, oh, now we're ignoring the cupcake and we're just putting it on the plate. That is usually enough, um, especially if you bring it up at a, like, a private time where there's not a lot of pressure. So maybe it's a phone call 
Maybe it's a conversation in the kitchen a week before this thing happens and they don't feel attacked in any way. I think that's so much of the key is like, you're still respecting them. Um, you can also like pull in a pediatrician and go to your pediatrician and say, Hey, you know, my um, mother-in-law is giving my one-year-old juice. And I know the recommendation is to not give any juice until two. And we were really hoping to follow that recommendation. Would you be willing to sign this letter for me that says you recommend, um, you know, he's not allowed to have juice until he's two years old. You can, if you're in a really tough situation where you have an in-law who's not listening and is providing childcare, you can actually pull in an expert. You can um, pro provide resources. I know a lot of moms who are like, hey, I now have my mother-in-law following you on Instagram so that she learns. I have a little cohort of grandmas who follow me because they want to do a better job feeding their grandchildren. So there's a lot of ways to kind of like put recommendations out there that are very respectful and loving, but still kind of communicate your desires. Um, but you always have to consider your situation. Is it going to be bad? Is your ch child going to be in danger if you stand up to a person? In which case, you may not want to say anything. You may just want to say, hey, this is just my imperfect life and that's okay and it's still a wonderful life and we're just going to deal with it. Um, or in some cases, some people find that they have to limit their exposure to relatives who are extremely disrespectful of the situation. Like some relatives don't listen to advice on choking hazards and they feed whole grapes to babies and things like that. And in that situation, a parent may say, you know what, I think we just need to reduce exposure for now to that person. You talk so much about like these routines of getting kids to eat healthier without all this pressure that it has to be perfect. And I just love that about like everything you're putting out there because there's so much pressure on us as moms to like, quote, do it the right way, you know, and um, show up in a certain way. And I just love that you share like your own life and everything that's real there, but also this encouragement that like your kid doesn't have to just eat like chicken nuggets and French fries every day and you can say whatever, we'll figure it out later. So right. Right. We can like accept the reality is not perfect and still be like, Hey, but this is, we're doing great here. And we still want to do a little better and that's okay. But we don't have to feel like we have some sort of like rabid dog chasing us down to like put everything together perfectly in order to be happy. Cause really that just makes everybody unhappy. Right. Right. Um, but if we're like, Hey, okay, I, I know I'm going to serve chicken nuggets tonight, but you know what? I actually remember that somebody showed a picture of like putting some shredded carrots on the side. Maybe I'll try that. Right. That is like, that is meaningful. That small action is meaningful and it will help you and it's empowering and it's practical. Um, but it also, you know, you're not, you're not a failure in any way for doing that or not doing that. You know what I mean? That's one of the things I like to share. Like the mission with the purpose of a mom is like parenting with intentionality, but grace, like realizing yeah. like, it's purposeful. Like we're purposeful about what we do as parents, but we have to stop feeling like if it's not Pinterest picture perfect, then we're a failure. Oh gosh. Yeah. For right. Sure. <laughs> Especially when it comes to like these unpredictable small people that we, we don't know what's going to happen. You like, never know what you're going to get Yes, when exactly. you are pregnant. Yeah. I mean, you just have no idea what that child is going to come out to be. And you may be completely ill-equipped to deal with it. Turns out. Yes. But you definitely have all the, all the um, 
you have what you need to learn new techniques and try new things and see what works. Yes. Oh, I love this. Jennifer, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. Like for me personally, I shared before we got on that, like I, you know, follow you and your tips have been really helpful with some of the struggles we've had, but I know that the moms listening got like a little pep talk and encouragement about this, like way that they can shape their homes when it comes to food and mealtime. So thank you for just your time today. You're welcome, Kara. Thank you so much for having me on. It was absolutely wonderful. And I definitely hope that moms are walking away thinking, hey, I'm doing a good job and uh, maybe I'll try a few new things too. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you were able to get some tips to just parent with more intentionality. Make sure you head over to Facebook and join our private Facebook community group. Just search A Purpose Driven Mom and it'll come up. You can also go to apurposedrivenmom.com slash podcast and you will have access to every single podcast, all the show notes, all the links, all the freebies and all the goodies that I have for you. Thank you again for being a part of the community and I would love and appreciate it if you head over and gave a five-star rating and review. It allows us to find other purpose-driven moms, have an impact on them, and I would love to feature you as the reviewer of the week. Thanks again, and have an amazing day.